The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It is so good to be worshiping God with you today. If you are new to our church, we are slowly working our way through Jesus's most famous teaching, what has been called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He literally went up the mount and began to preach. We're studying this sermon line by line and word by word. Uh, The reason we are going so slow through this and studying it in such detail is because the words of Jesus are far more important than probably most of us realize. These are some of the most important, vital words that have ever been uttered by a human being. See, Jesus claimed to be more than just a human being. He was, or he claimed to be, the Son of God. Now, that in itself is not really that unique, honestly. Many people throughout history have claimed to be divine. You could go watch a Netflix series on them. However, Jesus wasn't just some kind of weird Eastern guru who created a cult around himself to get rich and to get women, all right? That's what most cults are all about. When you get down to the bottom of it, they want money, they want women, that's what it's about, boom. That's not what Jesus was about. Jesus claimed to be the son of God, and then he performed miracles, the greatest of which was to predict his death at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders and his subsequent resurrection. Jesus then fulfilled that prediction by dying on the cross and then three days later rising from the dead to be seen by over 500 witnesses. This is the event that changed the world. This is why we we date our calendars before Christ and after death, all right? I know, you know, they tried to change that, but whatever, right? It's a historical fact. Jesus really is the son of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us. He came to earth to save us from our sins and to show us what God is like. And listen to what Jesus taught in John 6, verse 63. He says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus says, His words are spirit and life. That means they give spiritual life. They bring spiritually dead things back to life. They raise the dead, spiritually speaking. Well, physically speaking as well, actually. 
So we study the words of Jesus because they have real spiritual power in them to give us spiritual life and life more abundantly. And what we've been learning over the past several weeks is that Jesus expected his believers to have this spiritual life in them and to believe these words and then to live them out so that their lives looked drastically different than their neighbors. Who would have thought spiritually alive people actually looked differently out in the world than spiritually dead people? Jesus is saying there should be a real difference between those who follow me, those who are spiritually alive, and those who don't follow me, those who are spiritually dead. He says when a person comes to faith in Jesus, they enter into this new kingdom, and the kingdom of God has certain attributes. Jesus is the king, and the culture of this kingdom is shaped by him. Jesus says citizens of his kingdom, those who are spiritually alive, will be marked by humility, be poor in spirit. They'll mourn and yet be comforted by him. They will embrace meekness and will inherit the earth. They will hunger and thirst and desire for righteousness and they will be satisfied by him. They will be merciful as God has been merciful to them. Their hearts will be purified and they will get to see God. And now Jesus adds to this list this. Blessed or blessed or happy or flourishing are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Now, again, week in and week out, I got to clarify this. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, he does not tell them or he is not telling them how to become sons or daughters of God. He simply says that sons of God are in fact peacemakers. Here's what my children act like. Here's what my children do. My children are peacemakers. People who are peacemakers are recognized as the sons and daughters of God at the judgment of God, and they will be called what they are and welcomed into my father's house. If you want to know how to become a son or daughter of God, you got to look at different places like John 1.12 or Galatians 3.26, where Jesus says this, to all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? You believe in Jesus' name. In Galatians 3.26, for in Christ we are all sons of God through faith. In other words, we become sons of God or daughters of God by trusting in Christ for our forgiveness and hope. You do not become a son or a daughter by being a peacemaker. However, if you are a son or you are a daughter, you are to be a peacemaker in this world. Now, just what is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is a person, <laughs> deep definition here, who makes peace. Right? But uh, hold on, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on in that. It's a person who works for or restores 
the peace between people or groups that are at odds with each other. You can't be a peacemaker if everything's already peaceful, right? But obviously, we live in a world that is anything but peaceful. But I want you to see some things that Jesus didn't say here. Can I speak to the nines for a minute? If you're an Enneagram nine, uh uh-oh. Jesus does not say, blessed are the peaceful. Right? A peaceful person might just be a person that's got a real chill personality. You're zen, right? You're just in it. You're chill. You keep your chill. That's not what he's talking about. A peaceful person might just be a person who doesn't do conflict. I just don't do conflict. They do their level best to stay out of any disagreements, to stay out of difficult relationships. They avoid that person's energy. (laughs) Person's energy just brings me down. They avoid difficult circumstances all to keep their chill. That's the peaceful person. But what else, another thing Jesus doesn't say is this. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. One author has called peacekeepers peacemongers. Do you know what a peacemonger is? Here's here's his definition. A peacemonger is a highly anxious risk avoider. Someone who is more concerned with good feelings than progress. Someone whose life revolves around the axis of consensus. Well, what do you want? 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 A middler. Someone who is so incapable of taking well-defined stands that his or her disability seems to be genetic. Someone who treats conflict or anxiety like mustard gas. One whiff and on goes the emotional mask and they take off. Peacemongers are the worst type of leaders you can have. If you've ever had a boss who is a peacemonger, he doesn't care about progress. He doesn't care about what's right. He doesn't care about what's best for the company or she. They care about keeping the peace in the department. See, peacemongers are those people who are willing to keep peace at all costs. They'll put up with injustice, abuse, and all kinds of unhelpful behavior and unhelpful people just to keep a semblance of peace. Martin Luther King Jr., when he wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail, he called out the white evangelical leaders of his day because they would not help him, they would not side with him, and they just kept saying to him, we don't need these peaceful protests, you're upsetting the peace. You're upsetting the peace. Just let's keep the peace, let's keep the peace, and things will get better in the future. And Martin Luther's like, no, Martin Luther Jr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. is like, no, we need to disrupt this semblance of peace and in order to bring about a more just society. Now listen, 
Jesus was no peacemonger, nor was he just a peaceful person that just was so chill. Jesus was a peacemaker. And so he says, my children, my brothers and sisters and the children of my father are also peacemakers. A peacemaker is different from the peaceful person and the peacemonger. A peacemaker actually steps into conflict. Jesus actually made conflict happen a lot. A peacemaker stands between rival groups of either rival uh, rival groups of people or individuals and they work to make peace between people that seem to be at odds enemies now what does it mean to make peace well first we probably need to understand what this word peace means and the, the most common biblical understanding of peace comes from the hebrew scriptures and the hebrew term called shalom and shalom doesn't mean just like there's no conflict going on that's a kind of a negative view of peace. Oh, there's no conflict. Everybody's, at ch- everybody's chill. No, no, no. Shalom in the Bible means nothing missing, nothing lacking. There's a presence of something there that unites people. It means human flourishing in the fullest terms. There's no, in- it's not just that there's no injustice, but justice is there for everyone. Now here, here's, I planned this whole, whole sermon series and the Sermon on the Mount kind of around this sermon. And then I got to it this week to get ready to preach it. And I was just like, ah, I don't want to do it. I'm tired. I've been taking shots from both sides and I'm tired. I want to put my head down and just get to November or December, whenever the election will be over. See, We are living in a day and age right now where our world, our city, needs peacemakers more than ever. There is so much anxiety in the air right now. And much of that anxiety stems from a culture that has walked away from God and put all of their hopes in a political party or system to make peace. Our current political system runs off of fear, anxiety, and divisiveness. All of those are counter to the kingdom of God. The right does it, and the left does it. Each party tries to convince us of the dystopian future that awaits us if the other one gets elected. And it's really hard not to get lost in our fear or anxiety and then justify how we feel no desire to work for peace with those on the other side of the issue or aisle. Here's how it works. If I can demonize the other person or group, then I can justify my own position and my own behavior and feel no need at all to work for peace with people who aren't like me. Christian, 
son or daughter of God. How do you feel about your neighbors who are proud enough to place a Trump-Pence sign in their yard or a Biden-Harris sign in their yard? Does it repulse you? Do you think, what kind of monsters are they? They must be racist. They must be uneducated. They must be evil socialists or fascists. What kind of monsters? You know your politics have risen to an idolatrous level when you no longer think of those on the opposite side as human beings made in the image of God who God is calling you to reach, befriend, and invite to be a part of God's eternal kingdom. You know your politics have become your God when you would rather throw rocks at the people on the other side than be a peacemaker. Now you might say, how can I be a citizen of this country and not get caught up in the partisan politics that makes our neighbors into our enemies? Should I just abstain from politics altogether? Well, you might want to abstain now and then, okay? You might want to disconnect now and then. You might want to stay off the news now and then. You might want to get off social media forever. (laughs) And listen, if you are prone to falling into right-wing or left-wing black holes on YouTube and you emerge hours later convinced that Armageddon is right around the corner and if you don't build a bunker, all will be lost, you should take a very large step back from your political engagement. But for most of us, We are going to have to learn how to let our identity as sons and daughters of God and citizens in Jesus' kingdom inform how we participate as citizens in the United States of America in our political institutions. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to inform that. Here's the idea. I am first and foremost a Christian. I am a son of God because of the work of Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus is the great peacemaker. He was the perfect peacemaker. We just finished a series in Colossians. Do you remember how Paul said it in Colossians when he's speaking of Jesus? Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, he said this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. He's the firstborn of all creation. 
For by Jesus, all things were created and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Listen to this. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities or presidents or kingdoms, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Jesus, hear this, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Here's how the gospel affects how I relate to our current political options. Jesus is the great peacemaker. That means he is reconciling to himself all things on earth and in heaven. That means at the very least that Jesus is right now making peace through the blood of his cross with Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians too for that matter. <laughs> I'm not saying He's baptizing their parties or their agendas. I'm saying he's drawing people from all walks of life, from all false religions, from all political affiliations. He's drawing them right now. He's reconciling to himself all things, all things through the blood of his cross, and he's pulling them into his kingdom. He's not looking down and going, I'm going to get Republicans or I'm just going to go after the Democrats or I'm going to go after all the confused ones. He's reconciling all different types of people to himself right now. Jesus is reconciling sinners to himself through his blood. Now listen, follow this gospel logic with me. If Jesus is drawing people out of both parties or all the parties into his family, forgiving their sins and calling them to be a part of his kingdom, shouldn't we, as his children, be purposefully and actively making peace with them too? Shouldn't we be pursuing them and not just throwing rocks at them? Now listen, I am not saying that we shouldn't hold strong opinions. I am not saying that we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have certain beliefs. But if what you're posting on Facebook is keeping your neighbor out of, out of sitting around your dinner table, shame on you. You are a peacemaker. You are a missionary. So what, what do I have to do? How do I do this? Our politics have become so totalizing. They're entire worldviews now that are contrary to scripture and they're contrary to the Christian worldview and they suck us into their orbit and they change us and we can't understand anybody on the outside and we just, oh, we just demonize them and we don't want anything to do with them. What do I do? How do I keep that from happening? 
And here's the other thing. I'm not saying one's not better than the other. That's not what I'm saying. Here's three tools. I'll be over quick today. Three tools for a peacemaker's toolbox. Okay? Make it a little practical, maybe. Three tools for a peacemaker's toolbox. Number one, peacemakers keep an eternal perspective. You do realize we've lived through Nero, right? We've lived through literally godless regimes that have crucified Christians, thousands of them. No matter who gets elected, the kingdom of God will still come. And Christ's church will still be here, okay? So we keep an eternal perspective. Now, what do I mean by that? A kingdom peacemaker knows who they are. And what is that? What, who are we? From this text, I'm a child of God. Now, what does that mean? That identity was not based on my morality. That identity was not based on my wisdom, not based on my economic status, not based on the color of my skin, not based upon my nationality, not based upon what epoch of the world I was born into. I have an eternal identity as a son or daughter of God. That identity has to trump every other identity that I have. Now, here's what happens. Listen to me. When you know you're a son or a daughter of God, your identity in Christ is eternally secure and therefore you become less likely to get lost in the anxious emotional processes of other people or groups. So when the, when the political party tries to suck you in and get you all anxious and all emotional so they can get you afraid of the other party so they secure your vote, your identity in Christ goes, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. I ain't afraid. Nope. I know who I am. I'm not getting sucked into that fear-mongering. What does that allow you to do? That allows you to, it's, it's called being a well-differentiated person. You know where you end and your group begins. Okay? So I can stand back. Here's how you know if you can do this. If you, are, if you lean as you're a Republican and you can critique your own party very well. You know the weaknesses where they don't line up with Christianity. You know the flaws in your leaders and you can point them out and you're not afraid to point them out. That shows you're a well-differentiated person that can step back and go, I don't like this, 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 this about my own party. If all you know is all the negatives about the other party, you're probably not a well-differentiated person. You're probably letting your identity as a Republican or as a conservative inform your identity as a son or daughter of God. Now, here's, what's, here's why our world needs people who are well-differentiated. They can push away from their politics and critique their own party. When you can separate yourself from your party and yet still remain connected to them, you can maintain a modifying or non-anxious and sometimes challenging presence. You can become a peacemaker within your own system. But you can only do that if, you, if your identity in Christ 
is more meaningful and real than your political identity. Now, here's where we see how deep of an impact the gospel has actually had on our souls. Can I do that? Here's maybe a test. How easily are we triggered by the political jargon of our day? Listen, I watched, I thank God for this debate this last week. There was actually kind of a debate, not like temper tantrums, a temper tantrum. Like somebody didn't get a nap at that presidential debate, clearly, right? But the vice president debate, I'm like, oh, there's issues here. But guess what? I was still, I'm yelling at the TV both times. On both sides, I'm yelling at the TV. Oh, no, I'm getting triggered, right? So I'm not just pointing the finger out there. Here's an example. Someone says to you, in a group, could be your missional community, could be just your neighbors hanging out, could be at the gym. Somebody says to you, Black Lives Matter. And you respond, All Lives Matter. Whoa, trigger. You got triggered, bro. That's what that was. Listen. That is not the heart of a peacemaker. That is not the heart that has a quiet confidence in the sovereign reign of Jesus over all the kingdoms of men. How about this? Here's second tool in the peacemaker's toolbox. Someone says something that triggers you. Someone says black lives matter. And you ask, what do you mean by that? What do you... This is a very simple question that we should all memorize. What do you mean by that statement? Because a person can mean many things by that statement. A person can mean, well, obviously, I believe that African Americans are made in the image of God and they have equal dignity and value and worth. And right now, it seems like our society isn't valuing them, so I'd say Black Lives Matter. And if you're a Christian, you would go, oh yeah, me too. Or they can say, Black Lives Matter. I believe in all the chaos that's going on in the street and all the stuff that's going on, and I support it. And you go, I don't know about that. Or they could say, I believe in Black Lives Matter, the organization. I believe that gender is just a, con a construct. I believe the nuclear family is made up in, in the white patriarchy of the world. And you could go, oh, no, no, I don't agree with that at all. But here's the deal. If you're arguing with someone, you don't know what they mean by what they just said unless you ask them what do you mean by that? I think one of the first things we need to do as peacemakers is not assume we know what a person means when they use a word that we could call a trigger. And someone uses one, we should ask, what do you mean by that? This is, all this is is just defining our terms so that we know what the other person means and we can work from that definition to understand them instead of importing our own definition into the conversation. Now listen, I am personally frustrated by this because I'll say something up here and whatever news channel you watch, you assume their definition of the words that I'm using as my own definition. And then I get labeled and called all kinds of things. A peacemaker doesn't do that. 
a peacemaker, if he's confused or doesn't understand, or she confused, she says, hey, what do you mean by that term? What do you mean? So second toolbox, second tool in the toolbox. If you want to learn how to cross the aisle and understand people that aren't like you, when they say something and you, have, and you feel an emotional trigger, you're like, comes up inside of you, you go, hey, what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that when you say that? Third, now this is a total nerd word. Okay, I'm going to give you some nerd word here. Here's the third tool for the peacemakers toolbox. Peacemakers have epistemic humility. Epistemic humility. Now, epistemology is the branch of philosophy that studies how we know things. How we know what we know. One of the most frustrating realities of our culture right now is most of our leaders do not have epistemic humility. They claim to know things that no one but God himself can know. That's what, that's what our presidents are doing. Both sides, or candidates are doing on both sides. Listen, Christian, hear me. You do not know the motives of another human being. And so when you hear somebody say something and you immediately think, well, I know what they mean by that. They mean this, this, this. You're claiming to know something that only God knows and that's what's in that person's heart. We have epistemic humility. We know, I don't know what's going on in that person's heart. I can't judge that person. I don't know what's going on in their heart. How do I know what's going on in their heart? I can ask them. What do you mean by that? Peacemakers do not assume they know the motives of another human being. Here's an example. If you have epistemic humility, you cannot claim to know the right way to respond to COVID-19. And if you are, you're showing your foolishness. I get it. We all have our opinions. If you have epistemic humility, you cannot claim to know what the right side of history is going to be. Listen to this. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Uh, you don't even know where you're going to be tomorrow. How can we claim with any honesty how, if we, you know, What's going to happen if the election goes this way or if the election goes that way or who's going to get elected in office? We, can't, we don't know what's going to happen. The Christian peacemaker has epistemic humility. We know what we can't know. I, can't, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know how this election's going to go. I don't know what the ramifications will be for our country and the world. And I don't know what God's will is in that. But do you know who does? God and God alone. 
Listen, as Christians, we can be certain on anything that God has clearly revealed to us in his scripture and in natural revelation. But the things that aren't clear, we need to walk humbly and be gracious and leave room to disagree. Think about this. Jesus came and made peace between us and the Father. Scripture says we were at that time enemies of God. Enemies. What does that mean? We wanted our own will and not God's will. We want our own glory and not God's glory. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus, the peacemaker, moved into the neighborhood. He came to earth to reconcile us to God and to what? Give us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know you have that ministry? That's what it means to be a peacemaker. You've been reconciled to God and now you're reconciling others. You're telling others, be reconciled to God and be reconciled to one another. You're a peacemaker. You step into rival factions and as best as our ability, we preach the gospel and we bring them together. Jesus didn't come just to save our political party or even save our country. Jesus, making peace between us and God for his sons and daughters. So can I ask you this morning, are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Jesus says, my children are peacemakers. Father God, we come before you this morning on a beautiful day that you have given us. And if we're honest, most of us would probably say, nope, I'm not a peacemaker. Maybe I'm a peacemonger. Maybe I'm a peaceful person. Maybe I'm just an instigator, a provo- someone just to, who likes to provoke others. someone who likes likes to draw lines in the sand and create the other and demonize them and throw rocks at the other. But I'm not a person who can step in between the dividing walls of hostility in our world, the way our culture tries to divide us in so many different ways. And I can step in the midst of those and I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ and I can be a peacemaker. Father, we ultimately know when we look, we we can never be a peacemaker unless we've received the peace that only comes from you. So there's people here today that are still enemies of God because they haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would give their life to him this morning. They would call out to him 
and that the blood that was shed on the cross of Jesus Christ would cover all their sins and make peace for them. And you would send them out on a peace-making mission into our city, into their neighborhoods, into their homes, and even into their social media feeds, Father. Pray that you would do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.